What's going on, everybody? Hello, welcome, and thank you for joining us for anything and everything rock and roll. Of course, with a little bit of ADD. I'm Zach. I'm TJ. And I'm Robin. And you're listening to Rock Detention. I don't feel tardy. Gentlemen, it's been a while. How we doing? Good. Always good. I, th- I thought Robin forgot his name and line right there for a second. <laughs> I was good. waiting for you to say yours. You, you were the one with the pause. Oh, yeah, I uh, guess. TJ's always number two, isn't yeah, he? TJ's always number yeah. two. So, all yeah, right, never Let's... number one apparently. Oh no, you're always number one in our hearts, buddy. Right here, buddy. Oh. What's everyone been up to? What has it been? Two weeks? Three weeks? Uh, uh not not shaving, that's for sure. I'm actually doing the no shave in November. Looks like. Yeah, dude. Same here. Still can't. I, I started it as a joke, but then I just thought, let's see what happens. I I had a gig, so I had to trim it up, keep it. Keep it nice and clean. So, yeah. Was, okay. Yeah. You know. Social, Otherwise the, the, working. The, the, the social media presence, I have to, yeah, you know. What, keep the image? Keep the image thing. <laughs> keep the image. Are, are, you, are you trying to be like a lawyer? Like, what's your, what's your thing? No, I just don't want to look scraggly. You know, like, because my beard, like, it doesn't, it doesn't just grow out. It grows, like, out. It's just, it's annoying. It's the reason I don't have long hair either, because my hair gets, is real curly. So when it gets out, it's just a mane of unkemptness. So unkemptness? I, just keep, I keep everything short. Right on. There we go. Right on. All right. A lot of exciting TJ, things, apparently. Anything new in your world? Just the whole basketball, doing sports, and... Going to concerts and traveling. Is your sauna open? Mm-hmm. Okay, just making Still sure. Open. I know that's yes, such sir. a big deal to you. Oh, you'd have heard about it by now if it wasn't. Touche. Touche. All right, well, who do we got on this week, man? Give us a little little backstory. And how did you make uh, this happen? Uh, well, man, yeah, it's, uh, let's try and keep it quick. But uh, I don't know how you uh, introduce legendary status, but... Uh, uh, you guys will know him, and a lot of other people know him from like uh, if you like Motley Crue, if you like Poison, you like Cheap Trick, you like. Dude, I've heard yeah. of a couple of those bands. Yeah, well, um, legendary rock and roll producer. Um, well, we could get into how we got it happening after we introduce him, but uh, okay. Mr. Tom Worman himself. Ladies and gentlemen. Hey guys, it's nice to be here. Oh, well, thank you for joining. Being here. So yeah, t- what? Where, yeah. what? Yes. Who, who wants Go to talk? Ahead. Who wants to talk? <laughs> Go ahead, TJ. Oh, I was just gonna say, uh, one of my good buddies and one of our big fans of the podcast actually reached out to Tom and got me in touch with him. And Tom was nice enough to reply to my email, and we've been chit chatting ever since, and finally made something happen. So very appreciative, good sir. Absolutely. Hey, it's easy to find me, you know. And I liked, uh, I liked. Um, what I what I read from your emails and uh, you know I, I I enjoy talking. We like that. So yeah. do we. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's why we needed to start a podcast. Yeah. You know, I was talking to Al Petrelli a few years back, and and he was telling me about how back in the eighties how hard it was to to get a shot at something. You know, because you you recorded a tape of yourself and then you mailed it and you may never hear back from them and now we can get a hold of people through email or through social media like people are a lot more attainable in today's huh. world interesting and, uh, 
Yeah. Well, we were we, we it was hard to to get a uh, an appointment with an A and R man um, back in the day. Yeah, m- probably because statistically, <clears throat> people just about never signed an unsolicited artist. They all came through managers, agents, or lawyers. So um, I probably listened to, I don't know, 5,000 cassettes when I was uh, an A&R man and um, didn't sign one of them. But, but the, the others, uh, the, the ones that I did sign were represented or recommended. So, you know, I would, I would then listen to it and say, oh yeah, this is, this is worth investigating further. But I used to come in on weekends uh, to CBS. Uh, I had cartons, cartons of cassettes. Um, none of them really panned out at all. How long would you, do you give a song the 30-second the rule, or, or do you listen to these songs all the way through? I wasn't very quick at, um, at hearing things, honestly. Uh, so, you know, I'd put something on and try to busy myself doing something else or something, and if I was distracted from what I was doing, then I thought, well, this is worth listening to. I usually, about halfway into the second song, I, I, I'd be pretty sure uh, about yes or no. And there were some yeses, uh, you know, that, that, that I did pursue, um, but they, they just didn't pan out. And fortunately, I never signed. Um, I did sign bands that weren't successful, but I didn't pass on any bands that went on to be big. So, so that that was good. Okay, because that was going to be my next question. Did you, was there any bands that you said no to but went on to do something huge? Okay. No, but there were there were several that I wanted that the my boss didn't want that were enormous and that would have made me king of the world. Sure. But they, well, I was young and and new pretty much. And, and it was in my first five years and I didn't have the, you know, the confidence or the, the courage to go up against my boss who didn't understand rock and roll. He was a smart guy. He was a great guy. Um, you're talking, but, uh, you're talking about Clive Davis, right? No, not no. Clive. Okay. Clive, Clive didn't, I didn't, I mean, he hired me, but he was, okay. My boss was 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 another guy who was the head of A&R at Epic Records. Okay, and and he was a wonderful guy, but he did not really relate to rock and roll, which was the bread and butter, you know, uh, of of any label at, at the time. You had to sell a lot of records, so, you know, I offered him Kiss and Leonard Skinner and Rush, and and he passed on all of them, and it was a shame, big shame. Okay, so when you say that that you handed you you handed him these three bands, like like you knew their management, or how how did you bring them to the table? Oh yeah, three very different ways. Um, an engineer uh, named Ron Johnson came in to see me in my office, um, 
and he played me uh, an almost finished album by a group called Wicked Lester. And I said, this sounds pretty commercial. I'll come down to the studio. And uh, I went down to the studio, spent a few nights there. And I went back and, and suggested that we pay to finish the record. That was called a master purchase. So you liked it well enough to say, okay, we'll fund the completion of this, of this album. So they completed the album. And um, then before we could release it, the band broke up. And so you don't want to release a record without a touring band. Um, so uh, a few weeks later, they called and said, "We, Tom, come on down, please, and see us in a rehearsal studio. We've reformed and um, we got a new drummer. It's a three piece. And it was, you know, um, Paul, Gene, and Peter. And, and, and it was Kiss in their, you know, very first incarnation. So anyway, he didn't like him. I wanted to sign him. He didn't like him. Um, the rush thing happened. Um, you know, I, I can't remember. I think it was Ray Daniels was the, um, I can't remember who. He, he was a big manager in Canada. Anyway, I got to them through him. Went to see him at a high school auditorium, loved him, um, came back, wanted to sign him. You give them, you give the whole thing to the business affairs department. And um, they had financial parameters and they said, too much money. They, uh, the band wanted $75,000 for two albums <laughs> firm. They wanted an advance and that was too much money. So, Correct me if I'm wrong, but that seems very low for two albums. It, not then. Not then. Okay. Because now I feel like that's change. It know? is. It okay. is. Really. Um, and then um, Skinner, uh, their manager came in to see me. Really good guy. Alan Walden from Macon, Georgia, with a really fascinating accent. Nice, Nicely dressed very soft-spoken, played me Freebird demo. I still got it, still have the demo. Um, so you heard Freebird before the world ever heard it? Yeah, and and I, I liked it very much. I liked them. They were, I mean, the the three guitar attack, I, I wasn't familiar with it because I'm, I'm a northern guy, and we don't, we didn't do that up here. You know, southern guys are kind of rough around the edges and they do the whole, you know, biker gang thing. And, oh, well. uh, but, but they're very delicate and very practiced and rehearsed when they play the guitar. And, and so they did, they did like three part harmonies and things. And I said, wow. So I went down to Bank in Georgia. I saw them and, and they had two drummers. And I, I, I said, well, this is, this is, this is it. And, um, I took my boss down to see them in Nashville at the Exit Inn. It's still here. Is it really? Yes, sir. Yeah. And we uh, we saw their show, and afterwards we were walking back to the car behind the club. I think it was a parking lot back there. And uh, I said, what do you think? And he said, good band, no songs. So, <laughs> so that was that. 
That was that. Now, the, he went on to a different job, and my new boss said, what have you been doing here for six years? And I told him, and he said, well, gee, well, that's, you know, what a shame that those bands got away. Do you like anybody now? Is there anybody you're interested in? So I said, yeah, Ted Nugent. And uh, that was the beginning. So I was allowed to sign bands then. Wow. Um, that's a deal. So that's how you get to bands, lawyer, manager, um, engineer, producer, you know. That is incredible. Right on. <laughs> it, can I back up a little bit? What, uh, what got you in the music industry in the first place? Were you a musician? Yeah. Um, Self-taught. Um, can't read or write. Neither can McCartney. Um, and, and so I played guitar. I had a, a really good band. I, we had a really good band in college. Really good. Um, I must, I have to say that. Uh, <laughs> we, we were playing a private party in Manhattan and, uh, we took a break and Nat Weiss came over to us. He, he said, uh, hi, I'm Brian Epstein's lawyer in New York. And, um, you know, Brian Epstein is right. The yes. Beatles man. Yep, yep, yep. And he, and, and he said, I think Brian would like to hear you. You're, you're, you're good. Uh, and I, and I said, I mean, this is 1965 or six. And I said, well, um, look, if we, let's say we had a hit record, we'd have to tour, right? We'd have to go on tour. And he said, that's what they usually do. And I said, we, we can't do that because we'd lose our student deferment. And it was Vietnam. So if we had gone, you know, if, if we had gone on tour and left school, we would have been drafted. And I said, we can't do that. Sorry. So I passed on auditioning for the Beatles manager. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> what, like a, what a hard decision to make. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, at the time, no, it really wasn't. I, I was just a trained SEAL and I did what I was told. And, you know, I was in school and, I, and, and rock and roll was not a career choice. It just wasn't. But anyway, so I went to business school and then I went into um, advertising for a year and I, I wanted to slip my wrist. I just hated it. Um, and I was, you know, I, I loved music. I was complete captive to music, and I, I just sucked it all in and, and retained it in my brain. All every note, every, you know, you know, I could air guitar a thousand lead breaks from, you know, from like forty years ago, fifty years ago, and I can even air guitar Axis Bold as Love. But anyway. Nice. Uh, <laughs> Um, you know, I, I uh, wrote a letter to Clive Davis and, and I said, look, I'm uh, here. I have an MBA. I have a job. I don't like it. I love rock and roll. I, uh, I'm a musician. I think I can help you out over there. And so after three months, uh, he interviewed me and hired me. That was it. Wow. Wow. It, w was it hard to get off stage and be on the other side of things? Oh, No. No, I mean, I was never happier than, than when I was performing. But, uh, God, we, I mean, we had such a great time. 
but to have the opportunity to uh, tailor uh, music for your own to your own taste and your own liking um, best job in the world I mean you know when I got to CBS basically they handed me a credit card and they said go find hits I mean who could there possibly be a better job in the world really I mean you, you could take that you could travel if you wanted to go to LA for a weekend well it wasn't I had to have a reason but but you know we didn't do we didn't find bands by um uh you know social media i mean we didn't have any so sure. it was all live it was all performing it was all demos and so if i heard a good demo i'd hop on a plane and you know you call the travel department it's this is with cbs this was serious and, and they they'd book you a, a flight and you know and you you'd go and and hear something and then come back and um three months after i i i did sign a band when i first got to CBS, I signed REO Speedwagon, yeah. um, and and they they 50 years they've been on the road, mm -hmm. 50 years. Um, anyway, uh, I heard them. I th I thought that was they were really good, and um, I flew right out to Champaign, Illinois. You know, had a great time. Boy, they when the guy from New York comes into town to hear your band, they treat you really well. I'm I'm sure, and you were you were based out of New York this this whole time in the eighties. Yeah, um, yeah. What, after I started producing, I I made a record with Cheap Trick in L.A., and I'd never really been there. I'd never spent any time there at all, and I didn't know much about it. And all of a sudden, I I said, "You idiot! You could live here," and and you know, for making records, it, it's heaven because. Entertainment is the number one industry, and everybody's there to serve the entertainment industry. Sure. So the studios are fantastic. The weather's warm. I mean, it was just a wonderful thing. So CBS moved me um, at, at that point. They moved our, my whole family. Cool. And I said I'd I'd rather live in LA. I can make better. I can make records there more comfortably. Right. So it's great. So how did how did you get introduced to Cheap Trick? Because you've you produced several records for them, uh, including yeah. probably their most successful one, Dream Police. So yep. uh, how did you get introduced to them? Because they have a weird their kind of rise to success is really weird. Because uh, they did. <laughs> um, they should have been much much bigger. They should have been, yeah. I think, much bigger than than they were or are. Um, Jack Douglas called me. Jack Douglas produced Aerosmith. Okay. And Aerosmith and Ted Nugent shared the same uh, manager. And so that so I got to know Jack, and I I, I had gone down to the to the record uh, I guess it was the record plant or maybe the Hit Factory in New York to watch him uh, you know work with uh, with uh, Aerosmith. And he called me and he said, I saw this band from Illinois. I really like them. And I think you should, you know, you should, you should sign them. You should go see them. So I immediately went to see him because I had great respect for Jack, who, who at the time had made 
Rocks, the, the, the Aerosmith album Rocks, which I considered about the best rock and roll album ever made in America uh, up to that point. Um, really good band, really good band. And so I signed Cheap Trick and um, Jack produced their first album. Um, you know, later on, I loved working with them. They were they were my favorite, really. Smart, funny, really good on their instruments. Great band, great band. And uh, I don't know why they weren't bigger than than they were. It's funny. I happened to I happened to stumble across. Uh, I think it was like a. Like a tra- it almost felt like it was a trailer for a, maybe a, a bigger documentary or something, but uh, it was um, Rick talking about uh, talking about when they went to Japan, and he was like, "Man, Cheap Trick was tailor made for Japan audiences," and uh, he was saying like they were they were opening for uh, oh who was it anyway they were opening for a real big band and their first record hadn't even come out yet. And uh, they were like, you know, Japanese audiences were going nuts for them. They so did. It was, it was just listening yeah, to that story. I, I was like, ah, that's, that's just weird to be already ahead of the curve. And you haven't even released your first album yet. All right. I was, I was in Miami finishing Ted's fifth album, um, Weekend Warriors. Um, by the way, I just want to add that in my five years with Ted, uh, we never discussed politics. Hmm. So we, you know, we're at different ends of the spectrum that way. Um, sometimes I have, I have a little difficulty um, explaining my relationship, my friendship with Ted. Um, so we'll let it, we'll let it go at that. Um, I was down there and I got a call from um uh, the head of, of the uh, of the A&R department at that time at Epic. And he said, Tom, um, Cheap Trick's going over to Japan and we want to record their Tokyo date at Budokan. Can you go over and do that? And I said, nah, geez, I'd love to, but I can't leave Ted here. I can't abandon this album, you know, right, right, right in the middle. I, I need a couple of couple of more weeks. So I missed that opportunity, which is a shame. Mm-hmm. I love Japan. Uh, we're going to go for two weeks this spring. Oh, nice. Uh, my wife, my wife, and I, and, and some friends. Um, f- fascinating culture, mm-hmm. really. And anyway, we had finished Dream Police in 30 days because the band had a tour booked. And we had a deadline. They said, you have to be finished by this time. In those days, it was a miracle to finish an album in 30 days. Um, Usually took two months. And so from rehearsal to delivering, to to, to the delivery of the album was was 30 days. And then it sat on the shelf for eight months (laughs) because Budokan took off. Yeah. That was the deal there. Dude, I did not know that they had a live album at Budokan. Uh, really? Yeah. That's like their famous "I Want You to I, Want Me." Yeah. I, yeah. I, I didn't big, know it was at Budokan. Yeah. Right on. They're, oh yeah. 
Yeah. So Budokan's very special to my heart because uh, Ozzy Osbourne's my favorite artist. And uh, and who is Ozzy Osbourne? Really? He's my favorite. And uh, and the album that changed my life was Ozzy Live at Budokan. Uh huh. That's what got me. Because I, I'm sorry. I'm not familiar with it. Oh well, if if you are a, a an Aussie fan or a rock and roll fan, I highly recommend listening to it. Uh, but you know, I grew up uh, in country gospel blues. You know, that's that's what I was raised around, and so I didn't. I had to teach myself about rock and roll uh, and and learn on my own. And uh, and I'll never forget when one of my buddies told me to listen to Aussie live at Budokan, and uh-huh. I, I've been a metalhead ever since. So. Yeah. This is one of my boys here. What's up, Kitty? What's his name? That's Bug. Bug. What's up, B-U-G, Bug? Bug. Oh, Bud. Bug. No, Bug. G. B U G. Yeah. 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 You were right the first Sorry. time, Zach. Hey, I did the best I could. So you you said. Wait a minute. Let me make sure I have my my question correct. Uh, yeah. So so you said Cheap Trick was your favorite band to work with. Yes. Definitely. Okay. Well, the question I had was, when I say the words most memorable, who's the first band that comes to your mind? Is that also Cheap Trick? Well, memorable could be good or bad. Yeah. Right? Sure. So that's that's why I wanted this question. Well, I, I think probably Motley was the most memorable. You know, they were they, – they filled a lot of space. Um Four very different people, and uh, but a really good team. Um, I, I I mean, it, they really actually were a motley crew. They 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 didn't belong together. Nikki and Tommy did, I think. Vince was interviewed one time, and he said, "If it weren't for this band, I'd be the guy bringing you your beach chair." And I thought it was pretty honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Self-effacing. So, yeah, I would say most memorable. Yeah. What 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 was was I mean obviously you know I've I've seen the dirt and and I've heard crazy stories about Motley Crue uh, yeah. outside of the dirt. Uh, was did they bring the craziness to the studio or were they very professional at the studio? Mm, it it depends. Sometimes there was there was professionalism. Um, but there, you know, there was heroin too. So it, it went from very good to pretty bad. Um, they were never out of control, but sometimes it was difficult to get them to focus. Sure. Um, I, I, I kind of, I, I have to admit that, um, once in a while it was very good for me to have the band not focus because, um, I tended to want to make records for myself, you know, instead of for the band. Um, I wouldn't ignore the, the, their wishes or sabotage anything, uh, but, you know, the ideal producer is supposed to be the guy who helps the band realize its musical vision. And, um you know, in in that respect, you're supposed to be neutral in a way. Sure. You know, and, and try to become one of them. 
and see the music from their perspective, hear the music from their perspective. I didn't really do that. I just came in every day and said, how can I, what can I do to this song to make me like it better? Okay. <laughs> that was it. That's one way to do and it. Then, yeah. Well, that's how I, that's how I made records for all those years. Um, and so, you know, we, I just say, let's try this and we try it. And if it worked, we'd do it. Most of the time it did, but if it didn't, cool, I'm good. You know, they hired, they hired me. I was there to, 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 to serve them. But if they were off with in the corner, you know, with, with somebody distracted or whatever they were doing, if it wasn't over the recording console, I'm good. Leave me alone. Let's, you know, let, let's, right do, let's do that, you know, and then at the end of the project, I just, uh, I always insisted that either the, that one member of the band approve the final mix before I took it out of the studio and delivered it to, to the label. Any member or one that was delegated? A, dele a delegated member, the okay. leader or not. You know, you know it's like a backup if, vocalist, you know. I, no, I if, they were on, if they were on tour, um, then then I'd, you know, I'd email, uh, email, I'd special <laughs> delivery that, you know, a, a cassette of the album to them on the road. They'd listen to it and they'd say, we approve. It was kind of a... A, a self-defense thing. It was, sure. it was safe because I'm sure you picked up on the fact that 20 years later, you suck. You know, when, when you, when you're making the record, you're beautiful, babe. We love you. Um, we're, you, you, you're, we're selling a million copies. You're, you're the man. And then 20 years later, they're doing an interview and, and you weren't really, you know, he didn't pay attention. Yeah, he didn't capture our sound well, and we didn't want to do this, but he made us do it. Complete, complete bullshit. And, and I mean, total historical revision. Um, they all do it. And so I, um, my only defense really is, uh, hey, you approved it. You sure. said, okay, you said it, it's good. But what, you know, there's a lot of bands out there who who will blame the producer for uh, or manager or somebody else for everything they didn't achieve. You know, it's uh, it's a shame, but it's it's part of the program. Sure. So, <laughs> on on the subject of kind kind of on the subject of that, uh, I'm we're curious because we were talking about it earlier today. Um, so, I, be, I believe it was 1998. Cheap Trick did one of like re-recorded one of their albums. I don't sure. I don't think it ever. I don't think they ever released it. I think they released like one or two songs as like singles and whatnot. But as a producer who worked with them on the original version of the album, did it bother you to know that they went back and like re-recorded the thing or attempted to re-record it or? No, a few a few bands have done that. Um... And Twisted Sister did that too. So I think about 25,000 albums. I'm a pop guy. I I like hard rock music or really power pop. Okay. And that, that's what Cheap Trick was. 
I, for me, power pop. Um, not metal. I'm not a metal guy. <clears throat> and I wasn't a metal fan, except for the Who. And even they're not really metal. They're very lyrical. Anyway, um, I, generally, I made albums that were more commercial than raw, mm -hmm. you know. And that was the, the standard um, complaint um, from the bands later on, mm -hmm. you know, again, 20 years down the line. So they wanted to, um, I wanted to get them on the radio. I wanted to make hit singles with them so that then they could get an audience and then do what they wanted. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, it was my job to make hits because Back then, you know, if you had a really successful album, it, it was on FM. There was AM and FM. Mm -hmm. AM was hit singles. FM was albums. So un until you had, um, you know, until you had a single, you, you really weren't heard that much because... FM radio was single stations. You'd have an FM station in Boston and New York and any big city, but they weren't connected. AM radio was a, ch they had chains. So if you had a song and it was added to this network, you could be on 40 power, powerful stations at once. Okay. And, you know, and that would, that would stimulate uh, sales. Um, you'd sell three million albums if you had a hit single. If you had a really good album, you could sell half a million. And that was just the way it was. So, so I wanted to anyway. I wanted to get them to 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 make them commercial and get them on the radio, and I did. Mm -hmm. And they were real happy about it then. And then they said, "Well, geez, you know, they were worried about their street credit." ability and you know looking looking not really you know hard uh they all you know d d snyder um uh, in his book he said i after they had sold about seven million of stay hungry he said i i personally ruined the record and i i see how could that how can that be? I mean, how can you have a record that sells seven million? So, because he, I don't think he wanted to take credit for it. I'm, I'm sorry, give me credit for for having any part of the success. But the basic, uh, the, but the reason they redid it is because they probably thought it was too pop. Yeah. Cheap tricks, same thing. That's why they. That's why they. You know, did. Um, I want you to want me in, in double time because the way I, I heard the song and the way they said it was okay to do and the way we did it was a dance hall tune like the 30s. That's why we have a tack piano. That's why I put finger snaps in it. You don't put finger snaps in a, in a, a hard rock song. <laughs> you know, so they weren't, you know... I mean, they were almost embarrassed by 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 that. They they wanted to be a hard rock band. Yeah. Damn it. That's a deal. Now, at this time, what what year are we talking about? At, at this point. Seventy 
77? Yeah. Around there. Okay. When did when did the hair and glam get really, really big? Mid eighties, early early eighties. Okay. Uh, my poison was late eighties. Um, Motley was early early eighties, and then I think we did the album. We did shout in like eighty five. Right, eighty two. I'm not sure, but anyway, yeah, that was the glam thing. Okay, so so I want you to think back to 1985, 80s. Who were you listening to? Like, were you so busy in work that you didn't have time to think about other bands or listen to other bands? Yeah, pretty much. But I did have a, uh, a I was a runner, and um, I did have a playlist. You know, I, I always I always listened to to music when I when I ran, or, and I still do at the gym. I have a playlist, a workout playlist, and it's all classic. It's all pre-1990. Uh, okay. And, and that's what I did back then. Uh, that I, that's what I listened to back then. Um, I listened to a lot of stuff. I was, I was definitely motivated by, you know, things like ZZ Top. <laughs> love ZZ Top. Love Eliminator. Um um, but I listened to um, uh, I listened to, to Eagles. I listened to Fleetwood Mac. I, I listened to the great bands of the '60s, '70s, and and '80s. But when you've spent 12 hours in the studio, you do not want to relax by listening to music when you get sure. home. You sure. know. But but I, I I have a I have a fabulous um, long playlist of 62 songs that I. I think are the best, most insp inspirational song. And um, I can honestly lift more, last longer, run faster, you know, when I'm hearing that music. Uh, with with no music, there's no exercise. Touche. So, yeah, so, so I listened. How many of those songs are produced by you? I was going to say. <laughs> no, I don't listen to my, I really don't listen to my stuff. Really? Uh, once in a while, I'll be sitting in front of the computer. I'll have, you know, I have little computer speakers. I, I don't have big speakers. Never, never really did. Um, and I'll listen to something that I did because I'll be on YouTube and I'll, and it'll show up in the right hand column. I'll say, oh, look, <laughs> you know, and I'll, I'll listen to it or somebody will want to do a, an interview about a specific album. So I go back and review it, and um, most of the time I I really like it. I really do. There was there were a couple of things you know that that bothered me. Bunny should have been louder overall, I think, in in, in Cheap Trick. Um, most of it was, I think, it was pretty good. That's. That's that's wonderful because a lot of people are you know very hard on themselves and uh, are always nitpicking things. But I'm glad to know that you're overall proud of everything you did. I am. Uh, I I I have trouble believing movie uh, actors and actresses who say I never watch anything I did. You know, I said, wait a minute, you can't finish a movie and not watch, not sure. not uh, you know review your performance. But um, I honestly, uh, certainly, 
There is one song on my <laughs> on my my uh, gym playlist, and that's Alf Wiedersehen, um, Cheap Trick, from In Color. Um, so you did listen to one that you produced. Kick-ass song. I mean, really good, really good song that could that could could have been a punk song. Could have been. It's timeless. Yeah. Fantastic song about suicide. Oh. Really good. Well, speaking that. of that, you did uh, "Blow My Fuse" with Kicks, right? Yeah, yeah. It was. Um, they're good. They're they're a great band too. Donnie Purnell was uh, difficult. He's difficult, very guarded, very mistrusting. Um, but they're good. They're good. They've got a big, um, uh, as is quite evident, they've got a, a pretty big ACDC thing going, you know, uh, Donnie especially. And that's fine, you know. ACDC was, was wonderful. Who are you listening to today? What new bands are you digging? I don't. I admit, I don't. I never really sought new music after 1990, 91. As soon as Nevermind came out, um, I said, well, that's it for me. I loved it, but the whole Seattle thing and, you know, everything changed very quickly. And, and it's not that I didn't like it. I mean, I, I, I like Nine Inch Nails. Uh, I love the Foo Fighters. And those were, but, but those are not current or new. They're, you know, they were for me. Because that was about when I stopped listening to new music. Um, my son works for Warner uh, Records in, in LA, he, in A&R. And uh, we, we can't really talk about anything but the music from my era i don't know i have no idea about what what they're doing today i have no idea who is who um you know there's huge artists and people on the cover of rolling stone honest to god never heard of them and uh that's okay i'm not supposed to you know um do you but miss? I, be, go ahead. I, I, there, there are things. There are songs on my playlist that I've been listening to for forty or fifty years, and they still work every time. I still love listening to them. I listen to every little, you know, wart, mole, mistake, every everything, and and they work. I was talking with a uh, the son of a friend. You know, he's in his like late twenties, and I said, you know, the you know this the music today is perfect, and it just doesn't work for me. It's all computerized, and it doesn't breathe, and you know, there's no flats or sharps, and and everything's auto corrected. And he said, wait, 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 I, 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 let me make you a playlist. So he made me a little playlist for the gym. And um, it was very good. And I, I heard it and I said, you know, you're right. I, I, I used it for two or three days. And I said, this is really good. Thank you for this. 
about a month in, it, 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 I just didn't want to hear it anymore because it, it, it's, a, it's, its impact wore off, its effectiveness wore off. It didn't inspire me. It didn't make me feel, you know, it didn't, didn't pump me up. And it was, it was intended to do that. Um, and I think it's because it's perfect. So, so I, you know, that's one of the things that, um, that I'm, I, I, that I don't like about anything after, you know, the technological revolution. Sure. Really. Same. I mean, if you're a, if, if you're a, a keyboard player and a computer whiz, you can be a rock star. Mm-hmm. You know, but but I um, no, no I can... I, I'm an idiot, a techn a technological idiot, and all I did was talk to my engineer. So you, know. you all were doing. I'm assuming if it, you so your last what was your last album, 1990. It was Rockstar the movie. Um, there was a movie called Rockstar. Uh-uh. Zach, Zach is very, 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 Zach's very familiar, familiar with that movie. With that movie. <laughs> it's my favorite movie of all time. Really? Yes. Oh yeah, my I gosh! Did, yes. I did the music, um, and uh, yeah, and that was my farewell to L.A. And it was good because it was really, you know, cast in the '80s, and uh, I was I was a logical choice for that, and it was a lot of fun, and I got to see how a movie is made, and and it was incredibly impressive. Because I, you know, I always thought, you know, people, people say, oh, you're a record producer. They have no idea how tough it is and how, how complex it is. And, um, you know, what a difficult thing to do. But when I saw w- what a director does, I said, wow, this is child's play. What I do is child's play. Um, it takes us all, man. Pretty amazing. Nothing. Zach, Zach, um, I had Zach Wild, you know, and um, Jason uh, Bonham, mm. uh, and that was like, you know, what what, what is it like? Fire and ice. Um, it was very difficult. So I, I knew that this would would be the case, and I uh, I drafted Jeff Pilson from Dawkin. He was the bass player. He was a, he's a really good team player smart guy, cooperative, straight, you know, and, and so I hired him to, to keep them in line. He was the bass player. It was a really good band. It's incredible. It's one of my, it is my favorite soundtrack. I mean, Steel Dragon is the greatest band that never existed. (laughs) That's great. Well, I, I liked it very much too. It was, it was, the job was very difficult and very different because, you know, normally the producer is the captain. You know, you, you say what we're going to do today and, and here's, here's the hours we're going to work and these people can come in and these people can't. And you, you, go, you go home and we'll work on this. In a movie, the, the, the record producer just sits and waits for orders and, and they'll call and say, we need this song. We'll be in the studio, just you know, like playing video games. And they'll say, "We need this song um, with a, a doubled intro and uh, one less verse." And 
and, and a, a cold ending instead of a fade, whatever. And, and they need it by that night. So, so you know, you, you have to either edit, remix, re-record part of it, you know, and, and, and get it out to the, to the set because, you know, wasting tens of thousands of dollars an hour. Um, I, I want to stop you for two seconds. So the reason you need it for the set is so that they can use it for playback while they're lip syncing on the, is that? For whatever. I'm not even sure. Why and were you on Pro Tools at this time? I was just about to ask that. No way. So this was all analog. Yeah. Wait oh, a minute. Yeah. Rockstar was done on two-inch tape. Yeah, sure. <laughs> That's incredible. That's I, know, I did one album digitally out of 52, and that was Poison. I was going to ask about that. I had that question about uh, recording Ricky Rocket and stuff. So Yeah, because we just, we just had a, a, a comment – uh, on YouTube, someone was asking if you've ever used it, if you had ever used any digital DAWs at any point, digital audio workspaces, Pro Tools, Logic, all that kind of stuff. No, okay. no, we've had very limited. It's 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 funny when I started producing, the first album I worked on was 1970, 19, I don't I don't remember. It was the early 70s, 75, I think. Anyway. It was Ted, and uh, we had three things that we could do to sound. We had a phaser, we had tape slap, and an echo chamber, and that was it. I mean, they, you know, I don't, I don't, I think they had a, they had fuzz tones, but we didn't use that in the control room. Um, you know, later on, it just became silly. Uh, you know the number the numbers of things that, that you could do um, by the time I was finished yeah you know but but um, we did uh, we did poison digitally because of CC I knew that we we would have uh, uh, it would be challenging to um, to keep him focused and straight is you know he had some issues at the time, and I knew that we would be punching in endlessly because, you know, they were great guys, poison, honest, diligent, hard workers. There were no ringers on that album, but um, it, it took a tremendous amount of time to, sure. to, to do it because, you know, they weren't that good. They, they weren't. Ricky Rocket told me. I mean, he said, "Listen, I know I'm I'm not the best drummer in the world, but I try I try hard." And he really did. They were hard workers. But CC would, you know, do a um, do, do he'd begin a solo and and then he'd excuse himself and go to the bathroom and then he'd come back and say, "Oh, I, I don't like it. Let's let's start again." And it I think it took eight hours to do the the lead break in nothing but nothing but a good time it's a great solo what was that piece together or did he eventually get it all the way through oh no no it's it's punch 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 it's like uh, play along i'll get you in and out don't worry because uh, punching in and punching out analog <laughs> tricky 
Sure. You can get a little gap here and there. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so you have to you have to really be good. I was good uh, at, 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 at editing and punching and all that stuff. But um, punching digitally is seamless. It's really easy. So if he's if he's got it, if he's in sync with the track, you, I just say play along. Here's where I'm going to get you in and out. Don't worry. So we, we did it. If if we ha- if we hadn't done it digitally, I I would have had blisters on the ends of my fingers. There were sure. so many punches because you'd have a remote box with you know play, record, rewind, fast forward. And you'd be sitting there with this box and it would be operating the, you know, the multi-track recorder. And you could go, you know, the engineer would just take a break and I'd, I'd be sitting there with with the, the musician, with the artist. And we would just be working together for hours. And uh, that's, that's the way it went. But uh, everything you hear on the Poison record with the exception of a few harmonica parts, and I think I credited the guy, uh, is is the is the band. There are there are no um, no ringers. I didn't hire ringers. So how did you how did you record the drums on that album? Was it just regular? Regular. Okay. Everything was regular. I can't tell you. You know, I would just let uh, Dwayne or. You know, I had four great engineers uh, over those years, and and uh, I wouldn't even come in the studio uh, until nighttime on the first day. Um, I just I just let the engineer translate my you know directions or wishes or requests into into sound. Um, I didn't I didn't know how to do anything. I really didn't, except at the end when we mixed, I would that's the first time I touched the console. And it was only for levels. So it, you were all, you were just telling people what you wanted up until the mix. Yep. I wow. would say yeah, well well yeah. Uh, um you know, after a certain point, sometime again, probably in the nineties, um Engineers became producers because sound was more important than than music, or be at least as important. And and so technology became a, a, a much more a significant part of record making. And um, in my day, there were, you know, most producers were engineers as well, uh, and many engineers did become producers. I was a strictly layman producer. I just came in, sat down, listened and talked. And that was it. And I would say, let's do this, let's do that. I hear a let's let's try a, a Hammond B3 in, in here with you, you know, this would be good. How about a harmony? And let's, you know, and and uh, you know, if I wanted a, a an effect, I'd just tell I'd tell Dwayne. Right on. Let's let's make that do this. Can we do that? Do you, you keep know. in touch with Dwayne? Yes. Right on. Is he, is he still in the business? No, he doesn't do much. He doesn't do much of that. Um, he actually um, worked for some uh, 
some company, the, uh, some industrial company, he sent me um, a bunch of free hand sanitizers when the uh, right. pandemic started, because <laughs> he was making those. Um, he was wonderful. Uh, he was really good, Dwayne. Uh, all my guys were, were really good. They're really good. And, and uh, you know, I, I owe them I owe them a lot. And we had fun. That that's the main thing. Yeah. You got to be with with in in that environment. Because uh, I grew up in major recording studios. My father's in the industry, and uh, and if I've learned anything, you know, yes, you want to be with great people that know what they're doing. But more than anything, they've got to be a fun hang. You've you've got to want to be around these people and want to work with them. So um, I'm yeah. not surprised at all that you had a great relationship with these guys. We we really did. I mean, you spend you know I spend more time with my engineer than my wife in those days. Sure. You're, you know, you're there working with somebody eight to 10 hours a day, every day, mm -hmm. day in and day out in stressful, you know, situations. So you, you gotta have, you gotta trade on humor and, and patience and, you know, sure. and uh, drugs, of course. Patience, humor, and drugs. I'll, I'll write that one down. <laughs> Three secrets in to life. Days, <laughs> in those days, there just were a lot of drugs. You know, party favorite. Yeah. Really, not, not, we're not talking opioids or heroin. We're talking, you know, a lot of cocaine. You know, the whole town ran on cocaine. The whole country ran on cocaine back then. Okay, got to stay away. Cocaine. Uh, musicians. Musicians were fond of it. Yeah. Sure. So, uh, was there ever a moment where you had to use a ringer for someone where it was just like, okay, clearly this isn't working. All right. We need, we need to get somebody else to cut this. <laughs> I <laughs> clearly this isn't working. Um, not, I don't think I ever had to, I, I wanted to, when we did, um, there were two cheap trick songs I had guest guitarists on. Um, one was I Want You to Want Me. And that was a jazz, kind of a jazz session guy named Jay Graydon. Um, and he did all the light fingered lead work on that. And and uh, Steve Lukather did, um, did the lead work on Voices. Wow. So... And, and I think I played, I may have played the rhythm guitar on that. Uh, yes. Did you get a credit on the, on the uh, liner notes? I didn't take, I didn't usually take credits. Um, I did all my percussion on every album. Like, uh, like every congos one. and. Well, no, I didn't play breeze. congas or bongos. I, I played anything that, sh that shook or, or slapped or, you know, I played maracas all the time and eggs and, um, a lot of tambourine. Um, I would just come in one day and do the whole album, um, at, at the end of the session. And I said, if you, if you don't like it, we'll hire somebody. And they never did. You know, right I, on. They accepted it all. And it was so much fun. Of course. I loved it. Yeah. That's, yeah. that is awesome. I, I, um, would, would you ever produce again? I don't think so. Um, I wouldn't know how, uh, I would produce, uh, analog. I would produce the old, the old fashioned way. Um, 
see, you know, it would take me way too long to 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 use technology this technology i suppose i could do the same thing i could just talk to uh, uh you know a guy who uh knew how to do it sure but then he you know he'd be the producer i i think really you know if i were to be useful musically i'd just be a consultant you know and i'd say why don't you do this i don't that note is you know try this instead sure that that's all um i did do one single novelty song about 10 years back maybe eight years back in um she's like charlotte north carolina anyway a guy sent me a song it was very very clever and i went down to um to to north carolina and i and i i went into a studio a little studio and and we 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 did the song and i produced it and and we had a wonderful time and i i financed the whole thing and i loved it and it's very clever and uh of course it never you know we never got it signed or i don't think it it, it ever made it to an album but i I did it, and then I came back and continued with my my life. And he uh, tried to do something with it. But that was the last time I was working in the studio, once in the last twenty one years. Right on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When I left, I left. You know, because I knew, I knew uh, that that it was the end of an era. Yeah. For me, and for me, and uh, and I think the music. I mean, I think rock and roll is defined by um, maybe 1954 to sometime in the 90s and that was it that was that was real rock and roll music i mean i was lucky to to be to be nine years old when elvis started it was 1954 and um it, it was the most important uh, event in my life, my young life, Elvis. Wow. wow. <laughs> you know, rock and roll is, it's, it's analog, you know, because it's, there's not, in essence of rock and roll, there's not a digital element to it. You're, it's someone hitting drums that are built with a head on it. You know, it's someone plucking a string and yeah, there's an electronic pickup, but it's still, it's all analog. So, cause I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I but, but, but honestly, I can't tell, you know, people, people think I'm an audiophile because I'm a producer. I don't know much about, uh, about audio and I'm, and I don't think I'm really capable of differentiating between digital and analog. Uh, when I hear it, you know, maybe it's a tiny bit, you know, more crystal sounding, a little, a little, you know, a little thinner, not as full, but hard for me to tell the difference. I can't say, oh, that's digital or, oh, that's analog. Can't do it. Some can. Maybe you guys can. I, I don't know. I can only tell on if it's like a, an older recording. But if someone today was like, here's two albums that were made last year, you know, it's all it's all mastered through a computer. Like they didn't, they didn't do the whole, if the whole process was done analog and I'm listening to it on a vinyl, 
and I go and I go between two vinyls, one that was digitally produced and one that was like fully 100% analog, you could probably hear a difference. Yeah. But yeah, in this day and age, it's all pro- at some point in the process, it's all processed through a computer. So. Yeah, and, and that's strange because you know bands will go out of their way, like the Foo's, mm-hmm. you know, to do a whole analog. But then it'll, you know, as you say, it, it'll get the. Uh, It'll get the modern treatment, unless unless you actually uh, insist that you that you you do it the old-fashioned way all the way. All the way, and then it ends up on this, <laughs> and it's still yeah. it's still a computer. Right. Right. So, uh, yeah, the mastering process was a magical thing. I loved it. Oh yeah, because, you know, because you'd bring your. I, I'd fly to New York, and I'd go up. I'd go up to the seven forty-seven lounge in the plane and i'd put my earphones on and i'd listen to the cassette of the full album and i'd make all the my little notes for mastering <clears throat> and you you I, I bring it to the mastering lab i always mastered in new york at sterling sound and i use the same guy and i'd walk out of the mastering lab with a with a completely different album it, it, it was like like peeling a layer of sludge off the top of, of some surface and revealing the glistening surface below. And it was a good mastering engineer could really help you out. Were you there for the entire process? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Then I, you know, I, I, I did a little knob, knob handling uh, in, in mastering. Um, I was a big fan of compression because <laughs> I had, you know, in the beginning, I, I had no idea what it was, but it was a, it's a wonderful thing to be able, you know, because basically and essentially it takes what's too low and makes it louder and what's too loud and makes it softer and it just jams everything together. So you, it's much easier for you to hear every, every individual thing that's going on with, with some compression and, um, I used to listen to uh, FM radio when I started out and on, I'd listen on stereo headphones on my living room floor. I'd get high and, and listen to music and, and I'd, I'd hear this and it would sound so good. And then I'd play one of my records, like a Ted Nugent album in the beginning. And I'd say, shit, there's something that I just, don't understand about making records because my record just doesn't sound anything like this good. There's something about it. There's a, and then for the first time in my life, I heard a song that I produced on FM radio. And I said, Whoa, is this great? (laughs) You know, it had that thing that thing that, that I heard that I said, what is it? What is it that 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 makes my records sound so unlike un unlifelike? And, and these are so good, and they pump, and they. It was compression. There were right heavily uh, the the FM signal was heavily compressed yeah. in those days, and boy, did that that was great. I was so relieved. <laughs> sure. Now, speaking of. Speaking of Nugent, uh, I, I got to go back to Rockstar because I, I yeah. did, did you have any 
um, did did you get to choose any of the music that that was because like they use Stranglehold in in the show, in the movie. Yeah, love Stranglehold. That that song, there is not a better song for the scene that is used for. It is yep. genius. Yeah, it is. Well, you know, it, 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 there's there's something about Stranglehold that that's threatening. It, it, the beginning of the song is it's it's just dark. Yes. You know, it's dark and it's like it's Ted. You know, um, it was wonderful. It was the first song I ever mixed. Now I didn't mix it myself, but I with the engineer. Sure. Um, what a great thing! I I played Ted's guitar. That was the slap. We was on a tape slap, and it was a measured so it. I could, I played. I made him play duets with himself, and um, I didn't make him do that. He played a part, and I would make it follow itself. Okay. Um, you know, in in a very musical and harmonic way. It's hard for me to explain it, but you can hear it. You can hear a lot of tape slap on on Stranglehold. And I sent the album to him after it was mixed and we spoke on the phone and he, and he said, I really like, I really like what you did. Uh, and I, I really love a stranglehold, but don't ever do anything like that again without telling me first. And I said, okay, Ted. Oh dear. <laughs> yeah. So he, he was not a fan of the slapback. He loved it. But, but just was, on that song, he was uh, he was really, you know, not happy about my taking the liberty of gotcha. doing it. And, you know, he was right. I kind of got carried away. I said, what is this? It's all great. Let's do more. You know, so. It's, and, it, and, but when you sent him the mix, did you just was there overnighting back then? Yeah. Yeah. OK, you can do that. I, I don't. I. I suppose we did, you know, you'd insure it and all that stuff. But, um, you know, I, I remember when, after my, after I finished, I think, I guess, uh, after the year 2000, people started sending um, music to each other via computer. You add this part, and then I'll send it on to, Joe and he'll add his part and and, it, and and you did not use the mail and you did not use tape and you it was like wow yeah. things, things are really changing yeah we used to ours was like Pony Express it was wow. you know we were we were pretty basic you know when I started recording they had just developed 16 track uh, analog two inch tape before that, you know, Beatles were four track. Um, it's pretty, pretty amazing what happened. But then by the time, you know, by the time you did Rockstar, I mean, 24 track was out and I mean, even digital 48 track. 32 track. Or 32, my bad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. But we still did analog. Uh, we had to do it analog, but we would put two machines together. Okay, so you had 48 tracks to work with. 
Yeah, it was stupid because it made it so difficult to, um, you know, you'd get, you'd, you'd get a console that was like this, the Enterprise. You know, it's, it's just absurd, like 30 foot long console. And you'd have to, you'd, you'd have chairs with wheels on them. And you'd, you'd wheel down here and you'd move some faders and then you'd run back there. And, and then it was all computerized. And, you know, the first computerized recording consoles had chain drives for the faders, like a bicycle. Wow. And the, the faders would move, and they were on little tiny chains underneath the board. Did they break all the time? Did you he- no. Could you hear them when it would, like, it would? Oh, no, no. Oh, it was, no. Okay. But it was, it, it was like black magic. You know, people would come in the studio and say, Look, watch this. And you'd, you'd do something to a fader, and then you'd play it back, and the fader would move by itself. And it was like, wow. <laughs> like the the monkeys in you know in in 2001 the space odyssey anyway. <laughs> that is it in uh and then uh, sorry to keep on bringing up rockstar i just love the movie uh we, we warned you <laughs> <laughs> so how much were, were you there the the entire time the movie was being filmed well yeah I mean, sometimes I was on the set. Sometimes I was, most of the time I was in the studio. Okay. Spent a lot of time in the studio waiting around. Was uh, this two, three months? How, how long was that time period? Probably. Okay. Yeah. It, it, it was a while. Um, it, it just took longer. Um, I never got to, uh, I never got to, to uh, hang out with, uh, with the uh, cast very much. Uh, Mark Wahlberg and and I talked about Boston. We did Boston accents together. Sure. You know, um, I met Brad Pitt through, uh, what's her name? Jennifer Aniston. Jennifer Aniston. Did you get to meet Jennifer? Forget things. He just like said that. he met I'm Brad sorry. Pitt through Jennifer. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, my bad. I just was thinking yeah. about Jennifer. <laughs> that, was, that was great. Uh, and um, you know the. Uh, the 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 uh, nicest the the most memorable person uh, in that cast was um, the guy, and I can't remember his name now. The English actor who played in who was uh, in the affair on TV. Um, oh, I know who you're talking about. I can't think of his name. Of, he was the head of um, Steel Dragon. Yep. Um, the guy kind of kicked the other guy. He kicked yep. out. You know, what's his name? Um, anyway, is it Dominic West? Yes, Dominic West, and uh, very nice, very nice guy. Early in his career, uh, wow. re- really good, good guy. Um, so that, yeah, that that was that was fun. That, that was really uh, pretty interesting. And they kept playing the. Um, you asked me a question about why did they use? How did they use the songs? Why did they need them? I just remember them being played repeatedly during the you know like i remember the the part the scene when when mark had to fall off the the stairs coming mm-hmm. down um and and uh, so the music was playing the whole time all the time gotcha. uh, every time they rolled camera the you know because there was so much uh 
there was so much performance footage. Sure. And and not all that much um, uh, off stage. There was a, a whole lot of on stage shooting. What arena was that in? That first scene, Mark's first show with Steel Dragon. I think it was. Uh, it wasn't the Forum. It was the second biggest arena in LA. And I can't remember the name of it. Um, it might have been Long Beach. I don't know. But it. Uh, I, I do remember that. I went down for that one. And how many people were actually there? Like, was, was that all CGI people or was it a full arena? Oh, you know, I can't remember that. I think they, I think they did probably half. I can't remember that. I'm sorry. I, I, I really no should. Worries. Yeah. There's, there's a whole lot that I can't remember at this point. <laughs> well, you have it's enough memories, good. so you got to make room for them somewhere. I got to kick a few out. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And get rid of some of those guitar solos. Jeez, they, they occupy a lot of space. Memorial you Sports know, Arena. Uh, was that it? Memori yeah, that's what it says. A concert scene was shot at the Los Angeles Memorial Sports Arena before 10,000 Metallica and Megadeth fans. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah. Wow. That would have been something to remember, but I didn't. Um, well, that's what it, that's thanks, what, Robin. That's what Wikipedia says. And truthfully, I take Wikipedia with a little bit of grain of salt. So, well, it can be edited. Yes, right. Well, it's yeah, it's pretty you, difficult you to edit, edit it, it, but it can be edited. So, right. But yeah, I would. I was. Um, um, well, I was going to say something about um, about that uh, uh, big shows uh, back then, but of course, I can't remember what I was going to say. So what were you going to say? I was going to take a, a left turn and, and ask you about uh, when you produced albums, uh, greatest hits albums. Um, oh, yeah. I've always been curious. Is that when, when a record company wants a greatest hits album of a band? Is yeah. that uh, is the band involved in that? Or is that more of like the record company's like, we just want a greatest hits of it. So go put one together. They, they probably sign off on the selections. Okay. Um, and then maybe record one or two new songs, uh, bonus tracks, you know. Um, but that's free money for the label. Yeah. You know, you, you just pull them out of the vault and put them together. And, um, and there you go. Live albums are pretty cheap, too. And they make, you know, some of them were just enormous, made a lot of money. Live albums were not <clears throat> live, not all live. Um, there were, it depends on who it was and how good or bad they were. But um, there was a lot of uh, re-recording and, you know, funny stuff. That, that went into a live album. Um, I had three different um, audience tracks running, three different machines running during every song that we mixed on Double Live Gonzo um, for Ted Nugent. 
there was a double live album. And so I'd, I'd have one screaming, you know, audience, one screaming audience with whistles and fireworks and one clapping audience, you know, and I'd, I'd just bring them up and down and try to make them different. And, you know, there, there, there are some live songs um, that, that have an audience reaction that is so absurd. You know, the, 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 it's so loud. <laughs> They put they, the the song ends and and the crowd goes completely berserk, and you say that no that can't be that that that's just not right. Um, but people do re-record stuff. I I did a live. Um, I was the executive producer on this Jeff Beck album uh, with the Jan with the Jan Hammer band, and um, I wound up. Uh, I did a lot of uh, re-recording with with Jeff, which was a, a major honor. But um, you know, even even Jeff Beck had to correct some clams that that he made uh, in, in his playing. So some of them are more alive than others. When when you go in the studio and fix that, how do you make the studio tone sound similar to? what they did live that night so that all the fixes mesh. Well, same, you know, basically same guitar, same amp. Um, and then you, you, the, the tough part is the audience, uh, the PA, uh, because, you know, the live performance will be there. It will be coming through the PA and you need the PA for the hall sound. Sure. So, so, you know, it's, it's it's difficult but not impossible. Gotcha. Um, they, we did a very I think by and large the people who made the records did a very good job of of fooling the listener, uh, th thinking that that it was really all live. You fooled me. Even the even the best bands, the best bands, uh, you know, did did some. I'm, I'm sure the the Stones did it definitely. You know, I mean, Keith, you know, he's just not that good. He's 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 a fabulous composer. He is the best guitar licks in the history of rock and roll. But a technician, not, not very good. <laughs> no, he's us all feel. Yeah, I think I think, you know, this this could be heresy. But but, uh, you know, you, you 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 compare Keith Richards playing to Joe Walsh. No comparison, no. you know. Joe hits every note on the nose, and then Keith just, you know, just plays, creates this this feel. Being but, a guitarist, who is your favorite guitarist? Well, I think uh, Pete Townsend probably. Okay. Yeah. Right on. He had right a on. Fabulous right wrist. He his rhythm playing really was the locomotive for for the band uh he he, he and, and keith moon um but he was a great composer rhythm player and lead player um he he's just it joe walsh is right up there too really like him right oh mine is zach wild and uh so that was another really reason i was excited 
A shredder, uh, major shredder. At, absolutely, Ab- absolutely. Yeah. Was uh, did he bring all his marshals to the studio when y'all did Rockstar? He was majorly maxed out uh, in all ways, you know. And he would, God, he he'd drink like two six packs in an evening. Uh, and he had this one kind of beer that he really liked. I can't remember what it was, but he he was a beer drinker. Uh, I you know. I don't know. Some some sometimes I I thought you know that he's just playing too damn fast. Can we be a little more lyrical? But I wouldn't say that. I kind of you know you let Zach do what what Zach does. Pretty much left that band alone to do, you know, to to do the songs the way they were written. I I never heard any of those songs. They were all pretty fresh. Sure. You know, um, which couple. one was your favorite? You know, I can't remember if you'll name a few. Um, well, you've got stand up and shout. Stand up, stand up, stand up and shout was was probably the one. Um, you know, I got the uh, Mike Matievich was was. The, have you ever heard Steelheart? Steelheart's awesome. Yes, that guy's got a voice. He yeah. did. Uh, we all die young, correct? Yep. Yeah. Jeff Scott Soto did uh, stand up. Oh, he did. Right. See, these were guys like I, I had done a Steelheart album. So I got Mike and Jeff used to do some backing vocals on my records. Jeff uh, Scott. Yeah. Right on. Yeah, he was good. He was very, very good. Um, he could have been a, he should have been a solo, a big solo artist. He, he's still doing a solo thing. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was he was good looking guy, very talented, tall, really, really an imposing figure. Um, he, yeah. He's out with the Trans-Siberian Orchestra now. Are you familiar with any of their stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That That's awfully kind of strange. They're um, didn't they usually kind of emerge around Christmas time? Mm-hmm. Yep. They go for two months a year. Yeah. But he rocks it. He's great. Really yeah. nice guy. Yeah, he is. He was a very nice guy. There are, there were some very nice guys, and then there weren't. <laughs> no. I'm sure in every industry, you're going to have something along those lines. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good people and bad. <sighs> Any band bringing you out of retirement? No. No, uh, uh, you know this this business about retirement. I mean, it's the first time I, I I haven't worked in for a salary. You know, in uh, what? Geez, fifty. I don't know. Since I was twenty three or four, I started working, and I didn't stop until two weeks ago. Wow! Congrats on the retirement. Yeah, yeah congratulations. Yeah, Thanks. Oh, it'll be great. We're waiting for our house to be uh, finished. We're not building. We're we're renovating a house up the street, and uh, the supply chain got us. No. I mean, really, really serious. Oh. It's very hard to it's very hard to renovate a house when you have 
uh, no labor and no materials. It might have been a little bit <laughs> difficult. I paid thirty-seven dollars for a piece of particle board at Home Depot a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I used to get it for ten, fifteen bucks. Yeah, well, you can imagine what a what a, a whole house flooring cost. I don't new white white oak. You know, and I don't want to imagine what that would cost right now because my yeah. bank account would just cry. Yeah, really. It it is it is quite something. Um, it's a lifetime of uh, of royalties. <laughs> there you go. There you go. And then what what's what's uh, what what do you foresee yourself uh, doing in retirement? Any fun hobbies or? Uh... Well, I wrote a book. Uh, I'm finished. I'm going to finish that. Um, it's just about finished. Uh, it, it's it's pretty good. Um, and it's about the 70s and 80s rock and roll. Um, I'm going to do more writing. I have another kind of book that I want to write. Uh, I love to play golf. Hey, sign so me up. We we have uh, about a six-month season here. Um, I want to travel some more. I want a dog again. And, um, you know... Maybe do nothing. Maybe meditate a little. Maybe take the walk. Uh, I I just know that I'm not going to be bored in retirement. I can't go. understand when people say, "I, you know, I retired, but I got bored." Don't you have anything you're interested in doing? You know, take adult education courses, learn how to do something with my hands. There's a lot of stuff I can, you know, volunteer at the local. Humane society, I'd like sure. that. Be around dogs all day. Plenty to do. Right. Plenty yes. to do. Good. Well, I if you think it can be all right. Yeah. If you're ever in uh, Austin or, or Nashville or Minnesota, Las Vegas, hit us up. We'd love to see you. That that would be very nice. And and we might we might be. Uh, I've been been to all those places, like them a lot. Is it in Austin? Is the Ironworks still open? Ironworks Barbecue there on uh, Cesar Chavez. Yeah. Yep, still there. Like it. It's, there's a lot that has changed in this city, and a lot of old things yeah. have gone. And, and uh, this yeah, this last year has been especially rough on this city. But oh yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, but a lot of a lot of the a lot of the staples made it through uh, with support from the city. But uh, yeah, it's Good. it's uh, yeah, the ironworks is still here. So, yeah, I found I, I used to go to um, South by Southwest when it was just music and when it was just beginning. Mm-hmm. I was on a panel once one year, um, stay at the Four Seasons, wasn't it? Yep. The Four Seasons, Four Seasons Hotel there. Yep. The lobby, the lobby and during South by Southwest was like, you know, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. It, it, it was just people making deals and, 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 and talking and humming. And it was just, it was jammed. And so then sixth street, sixth street. Is that yep, right? Sixth street. Yeah. We'd just go to like 10 clubs in one night. Yeah. It was great. It was just great. And I never knew, uh, 
I, I, Austin wasn't my uh, idea, my the vision I had of, of Texas. It's, I had been to Dallas and I'd been to Houston, and it's not right. Yeah, it, and it's, <laughs> it's we very much are you know pride ourselves on that of not being like everything right. else. As we as we say, right. we're the, we're the the blueberry in the tomato soup. So, we're just is that what we say this is my other boy this is little man little man oh so we have yeah. bug and man little man yeah he's my good boy oh <laughs> i thought there was a kid crying earlier but i bet it was a cat talking okay so i mean it's very talkative very talkative did anybody else hear a, like a train whistle like really loud train whistle I think that's his phone. phone. Oh, okay. So I'm not going crazy. I saw I, I saw Robin really confused twice this whole podcast. I'm like, like it's it's just a ringtone. Well, because I I had because this this app that we're using has sounds that when someone um dings or sends uh, uh gives it a like gives the video a like or gives a comment it'll make a sound and so I was sitting there going yeah. like did I forget to turn one of the sounds off like <laughs> couldn't figure out what no, it was. I don't know why it. Wasn't. My, my my devices all make sounds, and I have no idea why or how to turn them off. <laughs> That's okay. Oh, mine dinged at the, my phone dinged at the beginning of the show, and I was like, "Whoops, turn that off." So, yeah. oh man. All right, Tom. This was well, an absolute pleasure. Great. I had I had fun too. We could we could do it again in in a year. Yeah, absolutely. There's probably always yeah. more to talk about. Catch Thank up you. on retirement. Yeah. Thank you all. It's really it's very interesting to, and and it's great to know that you that there you know three of you in different parts of the country, uh, being able to do this, thanks to technology, you know, I, it's a wonderful thing and it works. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> we 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 had a lot to work through, uh, but. Uh, but this is actually our 50th episode, so yeah. I, I do so want to say congratulations yeah. to all of us. You've made it 50 episodes, um, yeah. that's right. Uh, and it, it's an honor to have you on here for the 50th episode. Uh, so thank you very much. Sure thing. I, I'm just going to close the lid now. Oh, is that it? Uh, we're going to sign not off. Not yet. But uh, we're, we're going to do a quick sign off. Oh, okay. So we'll uh, we'll tell you bye in just a second. So just hold tight. But uh, for all of you who tuned in, thank you so much for being here. Uh, it's always a pleasure. And uh, have a blessed week. Thank you again, Mr. Tom. And uh, over to you, TJ. Yeah, uh, thanks for joining, Tom. Appreciate it. And I know uh, probably went a little longer than you wanted, but appreciate uh, all the stories. And enjoy Fun. retirement. Uh, anyone Anybody that tuned in, love you guys. Keep supporting and do that like thing and subscribe thing. And uh, that's all I got. Over to you, Robin. This was a blast. Tom, thank you so much. This was this is really cool for me as someone who's been on both sides of the board as a recording uh, musician and then also being an engineer as well. Uh, it's just do it's you know, hearing stories from from the other side is always just so much fun. Um, but yeah, as TJ said, you know, follow us, like us, what, you know, all that weird stuff that we have to tell you to do on YouTube. <laughs> so, uh, I like, I still don't like saying that it feels weird. No. Um, yeah. and, uh, yeah. So I had a great time. I, I really, I really enjoyed this. And thank you. Well, thanks again, Tom. Zach, Rob, you want to, you want to, you want to dismiss this class? Yeah. Dismiss. That's your job, Robin. Say it. Class dismissed. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
Is this thing still on? It is. It is still on. Do you do it? Okay, we're gonna continue. Okay, it should be off yeah, now, we're right? Yeah, turning it off. I'm ending. It. <laughs> Great job, gentlemen.